Hi everyone, I'm David Green, and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Of the companies Jonathan Farrar and I researched and included in our recently published book, Excellence in People Analytics, one that really stood out was Microsoft. It is one of the best examples of scaling people analytics to provide value for employees and the business. Microsoft's Chief People Officer, Kathleen Hogan, was generous enough to provide a perspective in the book. This is an extract of Kathleen's contribution to excellence in people analytics. I think we're just at the beginning of an incredibly exciting time for HR leaders who increasingly have more of a strategic role and are able to use more empirical data to inform decisions around performance, talent management, agility, employee experience and productivity. I'm especially delighted, therefore, that Kathleen is my guest on this week's episode of the podcast. In our conversation, Kathleen and I discuss how HR is a strategic partner to the business at Microsoft. We look at how Kathleen has worked closely with CEO Satya Nadella to develop the culture at Microsoft over the last five years. We look at the role of people data in supporting decision-making and busting myths. And Kathleen reveals the impact of continuous learning and how a daily pulse of two and a half thousand employees has helped shape Microsoft's approach to hybrid working. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested or involved in people strategy, culture and inclusion. So that's business leaders, chief HR officers and anyone in a people analytics, learning, talent management or HR business partner role. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Kathleen Hogan, the Chief People Officer at Microsoft to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. It's great to have you on the show, Kathleen. Can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to your background and your role at Microsoft? Yeah, great to be here, David. Thanks for inviting me. Um, a little bit about me. I uh, grew up in uh, Brookfield, Wisconsin, uh, ended up uh, a developer and a development manager at Oracle, uh, then uh, ended up at McKinsey, and I've been at Microsoft Boy, I'd have to do the math, but at least 15 years. And uh, the last six years, I have been uh, leading HR at Microsoft. Fantastic. And, you know, I think, you know, the role of the, the chief HR officer or chief people officer has really been enhanced, I think, by the pandemic. Um, it was already important, but I think it's become even more important now. So maybe it'd be good to start by talking a bit about your relationship with Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella and how you ensure that HR is a strategic partner to the business. I think from the very beginning, when I uh, took the role, I think Satya was very clear that uh, culture uh, was going to be a first-class uh, first-class opportunity for us to work on. You know, he was very clear that he wanted to really be clear on on the culture and the mission for the company, and that those two things, you know, hopefully if we could get those right, would would be long-lasting, even if the strategy and our worldview would evolve over time if we could get that culture and service to a, a purpose-driven mission, if we could get that right, that that would, that would make a huge difference. And if you think about culture, it's all about your people. And frankly, I think also we know that from a business perspective, it's all about your ability to attract, develop, and, and retain exceptional talent. So I think that connection uh, from the beginning in terms of Satya believing that HR and the HR function was something strategic and something important you know, was there from the beginning. You've kind of gone on that that journey to, together since, since since his appointment as well. Oh, absolutely! Um, like I said, I had to do. I had to remember it's been six years. On some level, it feels like yesterday. I remember when he uh, 
he called me at the time I was running our services business, our consulting and our support business. And I was on a road trip to uh, see my sister for her uh, birthday. And uh, my other sister was in the car and her daughter was in the car and Satya called and said, will you help me? And at the time it was, you know, will you help me in terms of evolving the culture? And he had stepped in as the CEO. And uh, so on some level, it seems like yesterday, but yeah, it's been six years and we've been on this journey to really first and foremost define our culture. We spent about nine months really defining the aspired to culture. And I could talk more about that, but then I'd say we've been on a journey since then to close the gap between what we espouse and everybody's lived experience. Yeah. And I think we're closing the gap, but there is no perfection. And every day you're you're working hard to make sure that everybody has the experience that we want. You know, we grounded our culture in this concept of a growth mindset, uh, trying to challenge your fixed mindset, and then really uh, focused on three core pillars, being more uh, customer obsessed, uh, diverse and inclusive, and then really showing up as one Microsoft. Uh, yeah. And on, on any given day, you know, you're trying to achieve that for, for all of your employees. Yeah, all, as you said, all 160,000 plus of them as well. So, and how has the, uh, we're definitely going to come back to, to talk a bit more about the culture and, and how you've kind of taken that journey forward. But how has the, the pandemic changed or evolved the relationship with, 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 with Satya, but also the way that you approach, um, cult, well, we'll come back to the culture actually. So yeah, just talk about the relationship with, with Satya and how that's changed or evolved uh, due to the pandemic. I, I, on some level, it, it hasn't changed because I think from the very beginning, uh, what I loved about and what I love about working with Sach is he's very engaged and, and we, we iterate and we talk a lot. And, and so on some level, that hasn't changed. But I think on some level, maybe you would say it's even accelerated. As a senior leadership team, we meet every Friday. So that's Sach's leadership team. And that's been great. But then when the pandemic hit, we started meeting daily. And yeah. so that ability to meet daily, to make quick decisions, to get the diversity of thought from everybody and, and others were included in these daily calls to be able to make quick decisions. You know, if I put myself back into the February, um, March timeframe over a year ago, it's amazing to think that was over a year ago. Yeah. But I think that, um, so in some level, that's maybe what has changed is just the, the iteration yeah and, and spending a lot more time together but it's so important isn't it because this is you know a crisis that none of us have probably faced in our working lifetime certainly of this extent i mean it's the biggest pandemic global pandemic for 100 years or just over 100 years so you kind of need that that regular that daily checkpoint don't you because things are especially in the early parts of the pandemic things were changing every day no absolutely and we were trying to make decisions you know quickly about if if somebody does have COVID, you know who who needs to be told. You know does you know, does everybody in the building need to be told? Everybody on the floor. You know all of those things that now we have uh, very extensive processes in place. But at the time we were making all of these decisions uh, real time, and so being able to to do that together as a team. You know, in addition to we iterated quickly on benefits. You know, we came out with the pandemic leave and over time there've been a lot of different things recently um, came out with wellness days. And so the ability to iterate, make, make decisions quickly, I think has been 
uh, essential, just given, as you said, this huge pandemic that we've been facing. And if from memory serves me rightly, I think Seattle was the first major area in the US that, that actually the numbers started rising quite quickly. And I think New York possibly as well. But Seattle certainly was one of the early hotspots, I think, wasn't it? Which obviously is where a lot of your employees are based. No, absolutely. We had the, the, the nursing homes here. And, and I remember talking to my colleagues or, or some of my friends in the Midwest. I grew up in the Midwest who were you know, planning uh, vacations at the end of March at the time or April, you know, during the spring break. And, and so I, you know, yeah, definitely it did hit us sooner. And then obviously it quickly, it quickly hit the others. But I remember there were a couple, there was a few week windows where I was saying, am I the only one living this, this experience? Because folks who were in the Midwest, et cetera, weren't, weren't getting hit as hard. But that quickly, that quickly changed. Yeah, I remember it happened in in Europe. It was really Italy was the first country to to get significantly hit, and and then it just spread right across the continent. You know, within two to three weeks. You're right. It does. It doesn't seem fifteen months ago. It's gone. It's gone. No, and and as much as you know, I talk about us in Seattle. Our our colleagues in in China obviously were hit first, and so of course. Yeah, we were we were watching that and, and and looking at that first and foremost, and then of course it came to uh, to the West Coast here in the United States. So let's let's turn back to to, to culture more specifically. I mean, you, you you know, let's dig in a little bit more to that. So, can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you and Satya have done to develop the culture at Microsoft over the last five years? I think you you talked about you took nine months to define the Aspire to culture. It'd be great to hear a little bit about that. And then maybe some of the key milestones um, in that five-year journey. Yeah, I mean, and first I would say, and by the way, there's there's the dog in the background, just as we're talking. Hopefully you can't hear that. <laughs> oh, um, it, it adds to the mix. It's, it's it adds to the, the, the fact that I'm at home. <laughs> I, I was going to say that, uh, you know, Sachin and I have been uh, deeply involved, but I would say the whole company has deeply, been deeply involved. Um, yeah. And I can kind of talk about that, but from the such as leadership team, to our corporate vice presidents, to our 16,000 managers, to all of the employees, I would say it's been a, a team effort to evolve the culture. But if I, if I go back, when I, when I came into role, uh, again, I give credit to Sacha for recognizing that culture needed to be you know, a key area that we focused on and that we were really intentional about. You know, people, yeah. I think, in the past would have said there's a, a culture at Microsoft and you might have gotten different explanations for what that is. But I think Satya really said, I, I want to be intentional about defining our Aspire to culture and then really being intentional about uh, enabling that Aspire to culture. And so, uh, as, as I mentioned, for those first nine months or so, we spent that time defining our culture as well as defining our mission. Because I think lots of companies are maybe looking at their culture again as we move into, and I'm sure we you are at Microsoft in terms of as we move into more a hybrid way of working. So I think there might be some good practices that that some of those listening would would love to hear, I think. Well, if I were to net it out, we did take nine months. So it wasn't something that we just made up. And we took a lot of time to define our culture and look at it from many different angles. So we were talking to experts, such as had read the book Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck. So we were meeting with Dr. Dweck and getting input on that. Uh, we took the SLT uh, and had deep discussions as a leadership team about our purpose and the culture we wanted to have and really connected as a leadership team. We went off site with our corporate vice presidents at the time about 200 
uh, broke into 17 teams and really talked about the culture. Uh, the 17 leaders became the culture cabinet who then advised us. And then in parallel, we were doing focus groups yeah. and coming at it, women, men, millennial, non-millennial, U.S., non-U.S., engineering, sales, looking at it from lots of different angles to ultimately try to ground our culture in something that spoke to everybody as opposed to uh, just one group at Microsoft. And so I guess to net it out, I would say, take the time to define the culture and try to get it right um, versus quickly just assert the culture. Because if you can you know, try to get something that speaks to the broad population, they will then help activate creating that culture. And I think this concept of a growth mindset is something so powerful because I think people love it at work being more learn-it-alls versus know-it-alls, focusing on, um, you know, failure as essential to mastery and this notion that um, you can try new things as opposed to you have to be afraid because, um, you know, we're looking for perfection. So there's a lot of great things that it unlocks in the business world. But I also think when people try it on at home or use it to help coach their kids, uh, it, it, it works as well. So I think we, we tapped into something that in general, um, I think speaks to our employees. Even yesterday, I did uh, one of the things we've done as part of this journey is we have these culture interviews where to become CVP, you go through a, a discussion around the culture and what uh, the individual is doing to enable our culture and embody our culture. It's important that our CVPs not only uh, do something impactful, it's the what, but also the how, you know, how yep. they do that. And um, and this individual was just telling about taking risks and learning and how they were uh, enabling that in their team. And and I was really inspired by it. So yeah, but anyway, it, yeah, to net it out, <laughs> we took nine months. Take your time uh, before you just declare your culture, because then there's a lot of hard work after that to really uh, make that a reality. And we're still on that journey. There's no perfection. The other thing I always like to tell folks is based on the research, 85% of people are trying or companies are trying to change their culture. About 30% would say they've actually been successful. So I, I always like to be humble and say, we've declared our Aspire to culture. We're on a journey to close the gap between what we say and what people experience, but there is uh, no perfection for sure. Yeah, and I think that's really good for people to hear. And what have been some of the, would you say, the, the key highlights or, or, or learnings maybe over those five years? That there is no single lever, that you have to pull many levers to, to, to drive the culture change, and you have to stay at it. You can't declare victory and then freeze the culture and then come back. It's something that you have to work on every day. But I would say some of the big learnings is, you know, the power of a CEO who embodies the culture, necessary, not sufficient, but boy, if your CEO can embody the culture you're espousing, that's a huge force multiplier. I think we've been very lucky with Sacha. I think the power of the managers, you know, very early on, we invested in, and tried to enlist our managers and that if, if I could go back in time, I would have tried to empower them, enable them even more because they play such a critical role. You know, if, yeah. if your CEO is saying one thing and then five levels down, your your managers are not saying the same thing. It breeds cynicism. And so really that investment in, in the managers, I think trying to do big symbolic changes, one of the, so you know, we tried to do big symbolic changes so people would know that we were trying to change the culture, but also small changes. 
But like a big symbolic change, as an example, is we used to have the company meeting for four hours. And instead of having the company meeting where perhaps we were the know-it-all showing up saying, here's here's uh, the direction, here's where we're going, we changed it to a one-week hackathon where teams around the world could get together, the power of the diversity of our teams around the world coming together on topics, the best ideas bubbling up. One of the ideas from a hackathon that bubbled up is if you really want to be inclusive, let's let's have both men and women navigate coming in and out of the workforce. And so let's have parental leave. So uh, not just maternity leave, but parental leave. Um, That's just one example. Uh, A huge thing I would say is around communication and making sure that you're communicating about the culture consistently. I think one of the best things that we've had is Sacha has a town hall or a QA every month with the entire company. And that's a, a consistent drumbeat uh, for him to talk about our culture, our mission, obviously also our strategy and our worldview. But that consistent drumbeat, uh, I think, has been uh, really important. I could keep going. I mean, there's, like I said, there's no one thing. Uh, in fact, you know, every year we're, you know, we're trying to do new things to continue to evolve our culture. And sometimes you take one step back and then, you know, one step forward. And Okay, and, and, and you know, in a hackathon, at the end of the day, your employees are are usually your best source of ideas. So why not tap into that? You know, and I think you know, and I think it's interesting. We see, you know, we see more and more companies doing that now. The technology is obviously there to support it, but a lot of it has to come, you know, from the leaders being open to that. I guess in the first place, absolutely. The technology, and then of course, I don't know. We're going to talk a bit later around sort of data, and actually, you could, the the analytics and the data you can collect from those hackathons to to help really move the ideas forward in quite an agile way as well. Is, is, well, is, you know. and that's why I would be remiss uh, talking to you and not and not mentioning two things. One is an HR professional not mentioning that the other key thing was to embed the culture into all of your people processes. Yeah. So we changed how we recruit where we recruited, we changed, you know, how we promote uh, folks, we invested in training and development uh, with a focus on our culture. And so really looking at all of our people processes. And then the other key thing was using data uh, to debunk myths and and to help people um, see via data what what the truth was. One of my favorite examples, I think you even mentioned it uh, in your book, is we had this belief that you had to hire from the top schools to get the best talent. We then showed that uh, whether you went to quote the top school, the B school, the C school, two years later, the performance, there was not a material difference and, and use that data to help change behaviors, to help people uh, see that we could go to lots of different schools. And ultimately, I mean, again, we'll talk about that a bit later, that's that's what data and the insight can do. It can help change behaviours for the better, which is you know. And you talked about the importance of managers in culture, and that's the same in 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 pretty much everything, isn't it? If you if you want to change behaviours, it, it, it really it, your managers are your key population within the organisation to help you to do that. No, absolutely. And I think what we've been trying to do is be on this journey from just having data to truly having insights from the data. Because in the past, you know, you get a lot of data, but not necessarily insight. So now, sure. really, with our incredible HRBI team, uh, led by Don Klinghoffer, who I know you know, 
really driving those insights. And then at Microsoft, we've got this unique opportunity to then operationalize those insights into our tools. So when you get this insight, uh, so for instance, we've seen this huge correlation between folks who do two connects a year and employee sentiment around wanting to stay, happiness, et cetera, without going through all the details. And so then how do you operationalize that in terms of reminding people to do their connects? Yeah. During the pandemic, we saw a huge increase in the amount of time people were spending on teams in meetings. And so then changing our tools to have a five minute break and uh, so that the meetings start five minutes later. So it's, it's how do you not just go from data to insights, but then can you operationalize them and somehow institutionalize those insights in terms of your tools, your manager training, your people processes. So, yeah. and again, we're on a, on a long journey there, but that's the huge opportunity I think we have. Yeah, and right, and right to call out Dawn. I mean, I consider myself fortunate to have known Dawn for a, for a few years now and always been amazed at the great work that, that she and the, the team are doing uh, at Microsoft. And, and I know that they've done, been helping a lot during the pandemic. And what I'd really be interested to understand is how work on, the culture has shifted since the onset of the pandemic. For example, how how do you ensure the workforce still has access to everything they need to know in this new hybrid work environment? Well, I think we, on some level, have been lucky that we, uh, as a company, were using Teams before the pandemic. So at least we had that as a foundation. Uh, but I would say we are using Teams in a completely different way. Yeah, um, and I think uh, the, the 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 great news is because everybody had to go home. Those of us who were lucky enough to go home, let me just say, for the frontline workers and the folks who couldn't do that, obviously, I have just a, such deep admiration and gratitude. But for those of us who were quote lucky enough to work from home, we all now started turning on our videos. We all started using chat. We all started using the the emojis. We started to fully use Teams in a way that I just don't think we were using before the pandemic. And uh, one of the things we've talked about as a leadership team even is if you think about before the pandemic, the few people who were on the Teams call and weren't in the conference room did not have a good experience because we just weren't aware. We didn't uh, optimize for that. Uh, But now that we're all on video, it's a it's a much better experience for those who are remote. And now what we're really talking about is when we go back, or some of us go back, or some of us are in the office on any given day, how do we have an even better experience? Not go back to the way it was, recognize that we're all not going to be working from home forever. And so what is this new experience? And how can it be even more inclusive and even better? And I think that's the opportunity that we're excited about. Yeah, and it's, it is interesting, isn't it? Because we're all equal on when we're using Teams. We're all a, a box on a video on the on the screen. Whereas you're right, you know. I guess if you work, if you have historically worked remote, and there's a, let's say there's eight people sitting around a table, and there's two of you on a video, it's a very different experience, isn't it? So how do we take the good stuff from the pandemic? about us, you know, be able to have a, a, a good collaborative experience together in a, in a meeting and, and, and take that to the next, to whatever the, the future has in store for us. Yeah, very, very interesting. And just to that point, instead of when we go back, all of us will turn our video on. So even if 
eight of us are in the conference room, we've committed to our team norms that we'll all turn our video on, we'll all use chat. So yeah. it's still a great experience for those who aren't there. But those of us who happen to be there can still be in the same room, connect at the breaks, you know, have all of that that we miss. And so trying to have the best of both worlds, so to speak. But I think that's going to create a new, better, more inclusive experience. We also believe that there'll be certain meetings that are actually better done all virtually. Yeah, There's certain ways that when you have everybody online and you've got the chat and you've got the polling and you've got the ability to, to get everybody's feedback, there are ways that, or there's some meetings that we think will be better done completely virtual. Not all, but but some, just given what we've learned during the pandemic. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting, interesting world that we get when we get into. Let's hope we get into it soon as well. So, um, you've you've touched on a little bit around this, but I, I know um, from from conversations with Dawn and seeing uh, people in Dawn and Dawn herself and people in her team present during the pandemic. And how are you using data and listening in in your work on, on culture? So, uh, and I. I mean, I guess you were doing it before, so I'd be interested about that, but also particularly during the pandemic and how have you used some of that, those listening that, that you're doing uh, to actually inform your approach to, to hybrid working as well? I think it'd be great to, great to hear that. No, I think our, our listening systems were important before, to your point, but they're even more important now. Yeah. We've absolutely relied on our listening systems. We've relied on our daily pulse and just the incredible insights that the team has been able to deliver from that. We've relied on the connection between that and workplace analytics and really looking at how people are spending their time and, and the connection between that and, and employee sentiment and finding the insights from there. Uh, and then I would say also our employee resource groups have been so critical during this time and really listening to the unique needs of the community over the last year uh, and those listening systems helping us address key needs during the pandemic. So for instance, one of the things we came out with based on our listening systems was this 12 week pandemic leave. You know, when things hit and schools uh, shut down and people uh, were finding themselves trying to navigate three kids at home and schooling, we first and foremost, try to mix shift and prioritize and, 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 and enable and empower people to still get their job done, even yeah. though their, their uh, home requirements had uh, accelerated. But for those where they just couldn't make it work, we wanted to offer this 12-week pandemic leave. But then we got the feedback that a lot of folks didn't want to take it consecutively. They needed Thursday off or they needed, uh, you know, Tuesdays off or whatever. And so then we quickly, via our listening systems, changed that to allow that you could take those 12 weeks. You didn't have to take them consecutively. Yeah, you could take Tuesday and Thursday off. Yeah, yeah, that's one example. I mean, the other example is we started to see, we were tracking, uh, you know, sentiments around work-life balance and, and productivity. And in the beginning, it, it almost went up as people were coming together, but then we started seeing that work-life balance deteriorate. And so using our listening systems, we got input uh, that I presented on a Friday. The leadership team said, let's implement uh, wellness days because some of the other feedback was around vacation and people perhaps not wanting to take vacation or feeling bad about vacation, but somehow uh, offering wellness days, people have really taken their wellness yeah. days. I've taken. I've already taken all my wellness days, 
but that's just another example where based on the listening systems, we were able to try to do something to address what was happening with our employees. And I think, I mean, I, I will put some links to this um, in the um, publication around the, the web of uh, the, the podcast. You, uh, Microsoft published some great insights into how that, as you said, that that listening showed and changed during the various stages of the pandemic. So we'll definitely put some links to that and some really good learning there for people. Um, I'd be interested as well, uh, you know, because obviously you talk about the daily pulse, you know, and um, a lot of companies, you know, uh, or a lot of people we speak to say, well, we don't know if we want to ask people too regularly how they're feeling and and everything else because they're worried about you know survey fatigue i always say it's it's not survey fatigue it's survey inaction fatigue but 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 in terms of how you set that up you know it's it goes to a representation understanding of the, of the workforce um you know so you're not getting you're not getting asked to to, to to a survey every day it goes to a representative sample of the of the workforce each day so and you track how often people are, are receiving a request and stuff like that. But the, I understand the take-up, the response rate is pretty good. I think it, we've, we've been very pleased with our, our take-up on the daily pulse. Like you say, we don't pulse everybody every day, uh, but you're able to accumulate the, the responses. But we just did our yearly poll, and we had 88 percent participation. And I think whether it be a, a yearly poll or the daily pulse, I think the key is that you use the data and you show how it uh, hopefully improves the employee experience. And yeah. if you can be uh, direct about that, then people think, oh, there's goodness that comes from taking this pulse or this poll. If, if you have your listening systems, but you never act on those listening systems, or you don't share with folks how uh, that listening system is driving action, then I think you're not going to get people to, to take it. But one of the things that we did, in addition to sharing with employees, we had unique insights that we were gaining for our managers. And so I would send a mail to the manager where I would share data and insights and suggested actions for them as we were seeing fatigue, but also what our employees were saying they needed. You know, one of the big insights is people thought that uh, people that the teams, as team connection was waning, people thought, let's do more happy hours and the virtual yeah. happy hours. And of course, those are fun. But honestly, that isn't really what people wanted. People wanted to know that they their work was valued. Right? When you're remote and you're not getting to see your manager, you still want to be seen and you still want to be valued. They wanted to make sure that uh, we were prioritizing and really being active in helping them prioritize just given the, the the workload that people were facing, not just at work, but at home. And those are sort of the insights that we can gain from our listening systems to then better empower our managers to empower the employees with insights on like, this is what really is going to matter to our employees. Um, in fact, you might want to tone down the uh, the happy hours because People are getting fatigued from those too. <laughs> and it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I love the way the, I mean, ever since I've known Dawn, which is about five or six years now, how you use the, the insights from the data to, as you said, to empower managers and employees and give managers insights, for example, around the behaviors that create positive experiences for their teams. I mean, as a manager, that's a great, you know, great nudge to get really to 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 think okay well this works this maybe doesn't work maybe you know and you can change your behavior around that 
I know, you know, and obviously, thank you. I will say that, you know, for for the perspective you you gave in the in excellence in people analytics that the book Jonathan Farrar and I have written because I, I think it really showed the the benefit that the workforce gets from from people analytics and and, and using data. Um, and we've talked about the pandemic around the benefits that, that people data and listening can have, but you've also used it in other areas, haven't you? Um, certainly around diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, particularly if you think about the event, uh, the other crisis of last year, um, and also employee well-being and, and performance as well. I mean, how do you how do you balance these sets of outcomes from you know providing value to the to the employees and, and, and managers and also providing value to the organization as well. To your point, I, and I, I have, I was lucky when I stepped into this role to already have this incredible people analytics team that was already established. I've talked to a lot of my peers who don't have as rich of, a, uh, of an organization or don't have an organization and, and are starting from scratch. And so to step into this role and have this incredible team, uh, I would say data is used in in everything. And in fact, I'm pulling together a deck for the board uh, in June and for our exec staff where I do my annual people update. And I was just reviewing uh, the deck yesterday and it's all data. (laughs) Data then leading to insight. I mean, truly, the the way I'm organizing the deck is to say, what is the insights we're getting around recruiting and and our ability to attract uh, talent and, and, and you know, especially versus the competition and what does the data say? What's the insight? What's the so what for the board? What's the so what for our exec staff? What are we seeing around manager excellence and what our employees are saying around what works with managers? What are the behaviors that are most valued? What are the behaviors that are the biggest detractors? And how do I share that data? What are we seeing with diversity and inclusion? And what are the insights, whether it be diverse slates or other levers that we're pulling that make a big difference? Without going through my whole board deck, I I, I would just tell you that data is and insights are essential to everything that I'm talking about hybrid. What are we learning about hybrid? What's working in this current uh, environment? How can we marry workplace analytics with people sentiment and insights that then drive what we're doing in terms of how we're setting up the, the new hybrid work environment, both around yeah. policies, around people, but also the, the physical environment. So yeah, data is, uh, uh, is absolutely key to everything we're doing. It's not just related to uh, one, one dimension of the function. I would say it's needed in, in all areas and fuels the insights and, and helps us make better decisions in all aspects of the business. And you said, you know, at the outset of our conversation that, you know, when, when Sarja phoned you and asked you to, to take on the leadership role in HR, you weren't working in HR. You're probably working in an area of the business that I, I, I'm just guessing that where you use data every day to, to drive decisions and HR seems to have been not not in Microsoft but in lots of organizations the last big function to actually to embrace data and analytics I bet you were pleased as you said that you you arrived at this capability that was was already there because you know some of your peers I guess particularly in the last year have probably been in the dark a little bit um, as to having that data to hand to help drive decision-making communication on, on the daily basis, as you said, when you're meeting with the executive. No, I do think that when I talk with my peers, people are using data. They understand the power of data. People are trying to to build their own 
uh, HRBI equivalent capability, also looking to pick the right tools to enable uh, you know, hybrid work environment. But certainly as the CHRO being at Microsoft, where we have data scientists, et cetera, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely lucky to be at a, a company where tools and technology is, is our business, as opposed to, as I talk to peers who where that isn't necessarily their business and they're trying to build that function. But yes, coming from services where I was you know, leading a business with 20,000 people, uh, even though I didn't come from HR, I knew that your ability to attract, develop, and retain exceptional talent was mm. the key to being able to deliver business results. So it all comes down to people in that in that regard. And then the more you can empower people or managers with data and insights around the behavior that's going to help them be successful, you know, that just is a, a force multiplier in terms of driving the business, changing the trajectory of the business. So I think it's it's very linked. Yeah. People drive the business, empowering people with uh, people analytics empowers the people to to empower the business. So yeah, it's it's interesting. I know um dawn said to me before that you know the financial crisis funny enough 2008 kind of put people analytics on the map at microsoft and it did so at other organizations that kind of developed this capability earlier but uh, i'm seeing that we're seeing that the inside 222 we're seeing that the pandemic is almost putting those people analytics functions that have maybe been born in the last two to three years on the map because of all the reasons that that we've spoken about you talked about tools. You talked about some of the tools you've got access to at Microsoft. Obviously, this year's seen the, the launch of, of Microsoft Viva. It's been dominating a lot of the headlines in the HR tech space. I'd love to hear a bit more about the goals and, and, and ambitions of, of, of Viva in terms of productivity, well-being, and inclusion, and, and how you're adopting the platform internally at, at Microsoft. Well, I'm really proud to be, I guess, customer zero uh, for... Uh... <laughs> For, for Viva, but also having connected with my peers over the last six years, really understanding what are some of the key areas that we all want in terms of having this great employee experience that can empower our managers to empower employees, can just empower employees. And the Viva rests on top of Teams, which I think is already this incredible platform that has saved us during the, the pandemic. I can't tell you how many times people have said, can you imagine if we did this without teams? <laughs> and and that teams also just got better throughout the year as we realized what we needed, uh, being able to iterate with the product groups to be able to build features and functionality into teams to, to make it more inclusive and to make it even a better, a better uh, platform for us. But if we think about on top of that, from a Viva perspective, there are really four key modules. One is around insights and really a lot of what we've talked about and trying to share that more broadly. How do you take employee sentiment, workplace analytics? What are those key insights that you can deliver for employees and, and managers to, to better empower them? Another key thing we really haven't talked about as much is learning. And if you just look at the need for employees to just continuously learn uh, and 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 yet, how do they do that in the most effective way? Being able to do just-in-time learning, to have those modules show up in the moment, um, that's a key element of, of the Viva platform. And then connections and knowledge uh, are the other two key things that I could talk I could talk a lot about. I think the one thing that I'm excited about for Microsoft from 
the knowledge perspective is we're really looking to aggregate all the institutional knowledge of every employee and make it available anytime, anywhere. That's a, that's a bold, a bold goal, but you know, we've got all of this incredible knowledge and with our technology, um, how can we serve that up to our employees when they need it? Uh, That's part of the aspiration of the Viva platform as well. Well, that's a, that's a great aspiration to have. And I think you said early in that, that, that answer, you know, where would we be without teams, you know, and, and the technology that we've got, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not good that we've had a pandemic clearly, but as you said, if imagine if we'd had something like this 10 years ago with the technology that we had then, um, you know, it would have been a much less collaborative experience, I think, from a working perspective. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's good to hear about that. You won't be surprised that I'm going to, you know, the last question is going to be about analytics but so with regards to, with regards to analytics um in the people function in hr you know what what's next for your team at microsoft do you think well and and again back to your last comment i mean it's it's as awful as the last year has been and heartbreaking etc you know on some level the silver lining has been i do think that it's accelerated our tools and the innovation from a tools perspective but i think even more importantly it's accelerated the flexibility that we can provide to employees um, and again it's going to vary based on uh on roles and situations but i think the ability for folks to have so much more flexibility with this new way of working, this hybrid yeah. model, is something I'm really excited about. I mean, even for me, doing this podcast from Wisconsin and and having the flexibility to be visiting my mom and still working, uh, there's so much uh, that I think is pretty exciting about this new world, new way of work. In terms of what's next, I think one of the biggest things we're focused on is talent architecture and really being super clear on on the key roles within Microsoft. What are the skills? What are the learnings that you would need for each of those? And really trying to with link with the, you know, with the, all of the amazing data we have with LinkedIn and the amazing data that we can have for employees within uh, Microsoft, how do we better facilitate this marketplace, if you will, for our employees to navigate their own learning, their skill development, and what it what is needed for their career development. Yeah. A lot of that happens today, but again, using tools and, and technology and, and, and AI, et cetera, can we deliver even more insights uh, to our employees from a career perspective and more targeted learning uh, in terms of skill development? So that's, that's certainly one key focus area in addition to continuing to, to do what I already talked about in terms of, insights learning connections and, and knowledge and there's usually you know as we said at the start continually evolve the culture it's interesting isn't it that analytics and technology is almost providing the glue between what traditionally being quite siloed um parts of hr you know career development learning promotion recruitment um all those things kind of Technology and, and data is the glue that kind of pieces them all together and personalizes it, as you said, which is much more valuable for the employee, but it's also for the organization in terms because the better understanding you've got of your skills and what gaps you can close either internally or, 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 or through recruiting or even through acquisition, you know, mergers and acquisitions, the better. And that helps obviously deliver on the business strategy as well. So it's that wonderful 
thing that analytics actually providing benefits to each and every member of the of, of the company but also to the company as a whole in terms of you know helping you deliver on 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 your business goals as well so no, really absolutely good. and and as you said the integration you know if you can take insights from workplace analytics and what are people actually doing with employee sentiment and then even look at learning and given those insights where you've applied learning assets and then measuring if those learning assets even worked, it's connecting the dots across all of those yeah. uh, and having that integrated people analytics, I think, is where you can really deliver huge value to your employees, to your managers, and ultimately to the company as a result. Great. Well, Kathleen, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much for joining us, especially joining from, from Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> Can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you, follow you on social media, maybe um, the blog? I know that you that you write on the Microsoft site, of, um, how people can stay in touch. Yeah, it's a good question. I think the best way is to uh, find me on LinkedIn. So that's where yeah. I post everything. And so I'm on LinkedIn and that's probably the best place. That's good. That's nice and easy for people. So, um, so yeah, thanks very much, Kathleen. And and thanks again also for for your contribution to the book as well. It's 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 certainly Jonathan and I really appreciate it. So thank you. No, and thank you for all that you've done to really raise awareness of the importance of people analytics. I think it's also helped a lot of people have gone into the people analytics business because you've elevated it uh, and the importance. And so thank you for that. Well, that that's very kind of you, Kathleen, to say that. It's so. true. Yeah, no, it's true. We've <laughs> had a lot of people now. It, it really, you, you've helped elevate, uh, rightfully elevate the important role that people in analytics has. And we're getting just incredible talent uh, in that area as a result. So thank you for that. Thank you too. So <laughs> well, thanks everyone. We, we we like a bit of mutual appreciation at the end. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to this special bonus episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the MyHR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR, and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the My HR Future website. We'll be taking a break for a few weeks over the summer, but we'll be back at the end of August. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.